What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 66 of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. It's a long one coming off of championship weekend for the NFL, but Sean and I will be talking about that in depth on Wednesday. We jumped into NCAA basketball and we went over each conference, talked about the top 25, some major upsets going on this past week. After that, we went into MLB. We went heavy on the Yankees. Then we went around the league for our spring training preview, did the NL this week. Of course, we talked a little Harper and Machado as well as a few other free agents that have yet to sign. After that, we went into the NBA and we talked about the Knicks for two seconds, the Nets, and then went around the league. And finally, we finished off begrudgingly with some NCAA football, but there were some major transfers that had to be talked about as soon as possible. So hope you guys enjoy this one and we will speak to you on Wednesday. Have a good night. everybody welcome back sorry to interrupt it's our monday rundown here on mlk day the 21st of january freezing cold day in the northeast tom what's up man what's going on man how are you doing all right bro doing all right ready to talk some sports after a wild crazy championship weekend yesterday and yeah you came out better than me Jeez, two and oh worst call in the history of football it was non-call in the history of football but that, that was egregious two amazing games Oh, I mean, if you, it was entertainment. Couldn't pure, have drawn it up any better. Pure entertainment for eight consecutive hours on a pretty bad day. The Patriots are back. It was awesome. Cannot, cannot believe it. Should believe it, but that just gonna was say. just crazy. Tom Brady. I mean, what else can you really say? The guy was an absolute surgeon out there. And Patrick Mahomes stuck with him. Chiefs fans should not be worried. They will be there for a long time. They've got probably 10 AFC championship games ahead of them. And Brady won't be in all those. I don't know. Tom versus time. We'll see. Right now, Tom's winning, but Father Time is undefeated. So. Here's the deal. The the referees in both Tom will games, not be playing at 51. Let's hope. No. You One can, can only hope. Can't, can't imagine that. Um, and hopefully by then, some of those AFC East teams are going to be a little bit better than they've been yeah. during be basically nice the, the entirety of this run. But, yeah, I mean, the refereeing tainted, I think, both games. Definitely the first game with that non-call. We're obviously going to dissect this all at length on Wednesday on Wednesday evening. But it was just from a fan's perspective, super entertaining. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, hunker down, watch those games. And we've got a Patriots-Rams Super Bowl, and it's kind of funny, right? I mean, this is the matchup where the dynasty began. 19 years ago. Well, you know what's going to happen is the Patriots are going to win. It's going to come full circle. And then hopefully, hopefully it finishes off with a retirement speech from Belichick and Brady. But I really I wouldn't feel count like on that's that going right to happen. No. I, I really feel like it's going to come f- at least, maybe not a retirement, but at least a full circle. They beat the Rams back in 01, I believe. Yeah, it was January of 02 that they won the game. Yep. And then... They're going to do it again. Yeah. 20 years later or whatever it is. So. It's crazy. I mean, just think how I'm long. Hoping that's how just it ends. think how long ago that was. And then, and now eight Super Bowls later, uh, nine in total for Brady. It's it's remarkable whether yeah. you love him or hate him. Or I can't, I, you know, can't and I stand hate the him. guy. He's, he plays, he kills the Jets every single year for his entire career, except once I think they got him in the playoffs with the Bart Scott. Can't wait. But 
I mean, it's really hard not to root for the guy because you just want greatness to happen. Well, I mean, especially, too, and then you look at the head coach. I mean, Belichick, the main difference yesterday before we put this one to bed and and discuss it at length Wednesday night will be you see the difference between a team that's constantly prepared and mentally never giving games away and a team that doesn't make the big mental or makes the big mental mistake when it comes time. Yeah, there was a couple of faux pas on on all four coaching staffs right there, like a, a lot of mistakes. Patriots going for it on fourth down and not getting anything when they didn't run a QB sneak. I think Burkhead got stuffed. Subsequently, Burkhead ended up being the hero of the game, scoring two big-time touchdowns. But, um, I mean, Belichick was just insane aside from a few things there. And Andy Reid, again, keeps the, you know, used the timeout inadvertently when he shouldn't have. And, I mean, it's Sean every Payton time. throwing the ball before that pass interference when he should be running the clock down. I mean, it... It's crazy. It happens, but uh, we'll talk about all that later on uh, in on two Wednesday. evenings. But um, I hope everybody enjoyed the games. I, I think it was a general consensus that they got everybody got their money's worth regardless of the results. But I lost money. Or lost money. A lot of money. Greg the fucking leg, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. 48-yarder and then a 57. That would have been good from 80. Vinatieri-esque. Yes, yes. But um, but let's transition into some college basketball because there were also some pretty wild games this weekend and the week in total. Let's start in the ACC where we saw a number one Duke go down after that crazy win on the Cam Reddish win, uh, walk-off at Florida State last Saturday. They hosted Syracuse and old friends Bayheim and Krzyzewski got together and Man, Syracuse ended up winning in overtime at Cameron Indoor. Yes, but then nonetheless, Duke comes back and beats Virginia. Two great games. So Duke's not going to lose much points there. No, but they. I do think they're going to fall out of number one. I haven't looked at the top, the new AP top top 25, but I think they fell out of one. I believe actually Tennessee took that one over. And if you look at Duke right now, I think that was kind of a microcosm of what's going to be their the story of their season. When They're going to play close games because... They don't have many seniors. They don't have any juniors. Upperclassmen are basically moot there. It's all. You're right about that, by the way. Yeah, Tennessee, Tennessee Duke at one. went down to number two. Virginia is at number three somehow. Well, I think it's because they went to Cameron Indoor and played well enough to win that game and lost by two points. So yeah. I think that's uh, it's going to be hard to hold that kind of result against them. But looking at Duke, you know, they didn't have uh, they didn't have R.J. Barrett in that game against uh, Syracuse. And Syracuse just played a really good game. It seemed that zone got to him a little bit. And then when you move over to Saturday, Virginia had the game won almost the entire time. And Zion was a highlight reel, as he always is, and they found a way to squeak by and win that game by two. The ACC is loaded. It's deep. We got two teams in the top five, and I think both those teams are going to stay there. They're both going to be number one seeds. But we see the problem that Duke possesses come tournament time. They don't have anybody that's been there and done that before. And if these games get close and you're playing a team like Syracuse, although lack of you know, talent compared to Duke, they know how to play together and they know how to win. They were a tournament team last year and advanced pretty far. And then you've got a team like Virginia who, even though had that epic collapse last year, losing to the 16 seed, this is a team that is that knows how to win and they know how to be a top seed and win in the ACC. So... You're going to see this kind of ebb and flow with Duke. I think they're going to play a lot of close games aside from the cupcake schedule that they have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the knowing how to win is definitely important, but they're just going to out-talent about 95% of the teams that they play. Syracuse was 
you know, kind of a fluky win that probably 99 out of a hundred times Duke takes that game. But, but that again, game was at Cameron and that's, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that was more of the surprise If it was at the carrier dome, you know, that, that crowd would be, would be wild and nuts, but having that game at Cameron and, and, and Duke losing and was a freshman inexperience there, of course. Absolutely. But again, I said, um, I, th- I believe I said, um, Cam Reddish is the best guy on that team. Uh, after watching Zion and his plus minus is like 20. It's ridiculous. He's what he the does. best. He's he, Zion's and the best. And it's not just a hot. And that's not, not a shot dunks. at Cam. No, no, that's not a shot at Cam Reddish. Zion's just the best prospect since Anthony Davis, and he's going to go number one overall. And I can only pray that the Knicks keep folding. Well, when we talk about the Knicks later, you're gonna you're gonna have a chance to give your weekly update on that. But not going to be much there. No, staying in the ACC though, we had a couple other games. Florida State had a rough week. I mean, they've now lost three in a row after that heartbreaker at home. When uh, Cam Reddish hit that three uh, at Tallahassee, they had a week where they lost to Pitt, and then they also lost at Boston College. Subsequently, two road no, games. They go from number eleven to not ranked. Yeah, but, well, that's what's going to happen to you when you lose two road games to unranked opponents. And and Pitt is way down, and Boston College is not a team that you expect to upend a team like Florida State so I know they were two road games in conference but those are not very good teams those are teams you have to beat so now three in a row that's going to knock you out of the top 25 that's for sure but I think they're going to be back in it by the time the season's over yeah absolutely they're going to turn this around it was just a rough week and a real eye-opener for them I think they're absolutely going to be fine let's move on to the SEC though um, and talk about a few things after that Um, before that we have um, Florida they lost. Did they lose to BC as well? No, that was Florida State. That I'm was that. Sorry. That was that game in the ACC. So I mean, in, You're in, right. in the SEC, SEC, we'll talk about them. Yeah, Tennessee, dude. They survived a really close game. Alabama and uh, Avery Johnson came in there to Knoxville and gave them their first really strong test in conference play. And tell you what, man, Tennessee. That is a tough team and a tough-minded team. Rick Barnes, give him a lot of credit for what he's done to that program. He turned, he left Texas and and you kind of didn't know what they were going to become and after those that Bruce Pearl heyday, Tennessee's kind of been down and now you've got Rick Barnes coaching this team up. They're the number now one team in yeah. the country for the first time since two thousand eight. They can do everything well. They make shots. They're really Admiral long Schofield athletic. Schofield is a is a freak of nature and defensively they turned it up because they didn't play well enough in that game. To I even believe win. I think really watching the majority of the second half, Alabama outplayed them and had that game won. But defensive mentality took over late in that game, and they really bared down and, and didn't give Alabama many easy shots, free throws down the stretch, and Tennessee is ended up surviving and becoming the number one team in the country. Absolutely, and this SEC is really deep. Even teams oh, like yeah. Alabama who who are not in the top 25. They'll be an attorney. They're going to be in the tourney, and, and they're not even going to finish. I mean, I'd be shocked if they finish even at 500 in conference play. They're a team nobody wants to play. They play hard, no, they play fast, all. and they've got some freakish athletes, And they got too. a good coach in Avery Johnson as well. But then speaking of Bruce Pearl, um, Kentucky wins a game at Auburn. Very close game, crazy game. But, I mean, listen, Kentucky knows how to win these games. And the closer we get to March – is when Cal gets these guys going. They still don't look like Kentucky, but to go into Auburn and beat that team, the one thing I look at when I watch Auburn play is their athleticism. They're freaks. I mean, they're dunking all over guys. They can hit the three ball. They're defensive-minded. And Tennessee, or Tennessee rather, Kentucky just was able to go in there 
and play a classic Calipari-style game, as you alluded to. They were down by, I think, six at the half. They came back and won that game, and, and Auburn, you know, another team nobody wants to play. This SEC is super deep and super good. Aside from those, a, a lot stayed status quo in that conference. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we move on to the Big Ten? Um, Ohio State had its fun in the sun getting up to number 14, and we talked about them last week. Uh, losing to Michigan State, and then they lost to two Rutgers. unranked teams, Rutgers and Iowa, I believe. They lose again. They get killed by Maryland, um, number 19 Maryland, 75-61. to 61. So I don't want to say their season's all but over. Again, it's not college football. It's a long one, but Ohio State's got to really, really turn it around from here on out. They may have to go undefeated to make the tournament. It's a free fall, and, and they were a team. I know we spoke about it last week on the podcast, but they were a team that was taking a lot of people by surprise out of conference early in the season, winning a lot of big preseason games, uh, including that win at the time, a top 15 team in Cincinnati. So whatever good mojo they had going early on in the season has completely dissipated. They don't look good at all. They don't know how to play together. And it seems that there's just nobody on that team who's going to be able to take over. They remind me a lot of UConn in that way. You know, they're talented enough to steal some games, but they don't have a guy where if you're struggling and you need some shots, they don't have anybody that they can go to. No, they don't have any guys that can create offense for themselves. They're, all of their all of their baskets comes off drive and kick, drive and kick. And not, nobody can go to the bucket, go to the free throw line at their own will. And that team is not good enough defensively to sustain anything. No, and Maryland on the other side is a pretty sneaky team. I mean, they've, they've now moved up and they have a lot of talent on that team. And I look at the I look at the... Big Ten in a lot of the same way I look at the SEC. You know, the teams may not be as highly ranked, but the the talent pool up and down that conference. I, yes, you have your, your Michigan, who we're going to get to in a second, and you have your Michigan States, and you have your Iowas. But Maryland's a good team, and Maryland's they found themselves jumping team. from 19 to 13. A lot of movement in the top 25 this past week. Craziness, because now the next game, and another team that emerges after what has seemed to be a kind of tumultuous early start to conference play the Wisconsin Badgers. They'll do this to a few teams every took year. Took down gonna, number two, Michigan. They're going to hold a team to 50 points like they did, and they will beat you just based off dirtying up a game. And they push Michigan down from number two to number five. Yep. So in Madison, they had the home court rocking, uh, the first big game of the, the Saturday lineup. And they outplayed them. I tell you, Ethan Happ, that guy is really good. He, he reminds me a lot of a Kaminsky. I'm not sure how good he's going to be at the next level when he does when he does end up being drafted, but he's in matchup nightmare. He's another one of those tall, fundamentally sound, great around the basket Can kind of guys that, that Wisconsin seems to always have. And when he can step out from the three, as you just said, they're a pretty hard team to beat because they don't have an answer for a guy like that. I think he finished with 28 points and 14 rebounds, which is a crazy game. Had a couple blocks in there, too. And they were just riding the wave of that home court. You could see early that they had a feeling they were going to beat Michigan, and that was the worst Michigan's looked all year. And I don't expect this to to linger or or see them go into any bit of a tailspin. I think they're going to be just fine. There's too much talent on that team, and Beeline's too good of a coach. But I tell you what, 
that was a fun upset to get the day of Saturday basketball going. I think this it's was just what Michigan needed Saturday. too. There's a lot of pressure there, and I think they're going to relax and be fine after getting that that loss out of the way. But why don't we move down onto the Big Twelve? So Iowa State pulls off an upset over number eight Texas Tech, who had a rough week, sixty-eight to sixty-four. Texas Tech finds themselves tied at fourteen now, going from number eight with Buffalo. And Iowa State and Iowa, we spoke of them earlier, both find their way into the top 25 now, Iowa being ranked 19th, and Iowa State just squeezing in there at 24. But, yeah, Texas Tech had a tough week. They also lost to Baylor at home. Yeah. So, they're you know, they kind of did their best. They kind of did their best Ohio State imitation right now because that's – and Florida State too. I mean, that's a, that's a bad stretch. You can't lose those kind of games. And Texas Tech was number eight in the country. Let me know where they're sitting right now after this week. But they're 14. They're 14 right now. So, you're dropping six spots. Looking up and down at them, I think, again, they have the physicality where they'll be there. But this was the first week that we saw in conference play where a lot of teams who've been highly ranked kind of got put on notice. Yeah, absolutely. And and I thought they were going to fall even more after seeing Florida State finding their way outside of the top 25 and Texas Tech only dropping five spots. I was a little surprised by the um, the lack of dropping, but... Hey, they're a really good team, and they didn't lose as many bad games in a week as um as Florida, Florida State. State. Did. Oklahoma, another team in the conference, lost both times this week, so they're gonna fall there. They they're gonna probably fall their way out of there. They were number they twenty in the country, so you obviously you have a winless week, and that's gonna happen. One of those games was against Texas, and one of those games was against Kansas State. Neither of the teams were ranked at the time. You can't lose to unranked opponents. They don't have a number next to their name anymore. Nope, not good. Now, in the Big 12, sorry to do this to you, Will, but the biggest story of the week happened on Saturday around 4 o'clock Eastern time when West Virginia won at the buzzer on a three in Morgantown to take down the number two ranked Kansas Jayhawks. They are down to number nine, and I think that has to do a lot with the big man going down as well. And I know they rank these teams off performance, but going from number two, to number nine on a losing a road off. game. I think the losing the big man had a lot to do with that. And honestly, you know, I don't want to pile on Will with the Cowboys losing and all that stuff, but is this finally the year that Kansas doesn't take the Big 12? I'm not ready to say that yet. This team has had some losses uh, in conference play. I mean, this is on the road, and I know West Virginia is not ranked, but we know how Bob Huggins is. Yeah. That team is always prepared. Press Virginia – they had some time in the top 25 before losing some bad games early in uh, some of those preseason tournaments. That's a tough game to play. That's a tough place to play. It's not like they got schooled. They didn't get destroyed. They lost in a buzzer beater. They were better. They were the better team for 39 minutes and 55 seconds. So it happens. Yeah. Um, I expect them to fully rebound. I don't think this conference is as nearly as deep especially seeing Texas Tech hit a little bit of a fall, Oklahoma going down a bit. You see other teams like Texas, Oklahoma State, they're not ready to, to take over yet. So I don't expect – I Will, you want to hold your hat on something? I don't think Kansas is going anywhere, and I expect by the time the regular season concludes, they'll be the Big 12 winner again and then also take the conference championship, which is the Kansas Jayhawk Invitational. They'll be a two or three seed at worst – Come tournament time, I wouldn't be shocked if there were one, too. All right. Well, I guess um, Sean kind of talked you off the edge there, Will, and the rest of the Kansas fans that listen. So that's a plus. Cowboys still lost. Thank God. Um, <laughs> Lots of big games, though. I mean, I, I mentioned Saturday. That was the first Saturday 
of college basketball where it's like, all right, here we go. This is yeah. how the rest of the season is going to be, especially as you know, football season concludes this coming weekend's the first weekend without any football. Don't tell me about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> God Please damn it. don't you tell me, me about off. the Pro Bowl. Um, we got our preview coming up Wednesday. And then after Let's the, save it for that. Yes, and then after the Super Bowl, I can't wait to hear about your skills competition predictions. And then come uh, you know, the week after the Super Bowl, college basketball is at the forefront uh, until you know the end of March, early April. So when teams start reporting for spring training. <laughs> well, at that point, the season's going to be around, but at least then you're in March Madness, and that's when yeah. college basketball owns it for about three weeks. Yes, but at least come conference, what I'm taking away from this, I want to get your take on it too. There's no dominant team. Even the Duke, who has the most athleticism, you can see they're flawed when games come down in the last couple seconds. They don't have anybody on that team There's that's no been Virginia. there before. There's no Virginia this year. No, and Virginia is another Because Virginia right last there. year was a dominant team. I yep. mean, the fact that they lost, it puts a huge blemish on their on their whole season last year. But if you don't remember before that, I mean, that team, I think, were they undefeated? They, were the, they weren't undefeated. They lost to West were, Virginia, right, they last were the, year? But, might have been, but I know they were the number one overall seed last year. Consensus number one overall seed, and they were by far the best team in the country. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't really much parity last year. I mean, it was Virginia seemed to be everybody else this year, not to be the case. You've got a lot of very good teams, but we can see a lot of very flawed teams, despite how talented they are. I think the ACC is probably as far as top heaviness between Duke and Virginia, the best. And then you have the sec. I think the sec is the deepest. Yeah. Very close. Nipping at their, nipping at their heels to uh, be the best conference this year. But Looking at the other two, I guess, major, I mean, I would say a Big East is a major conference. How'd your Johnnies do this week? UConn plays in the other, in the American, so we'll talk about them. As for the, as for the conference as a whole, the Big East conference as a whole, status quo, St. John's lost a, after, after winning a big game by more than 20, um, or about 20, they lost a tough game in uh, Indiana to Butler that they definitely should have won. I know Shamori Pons was out, and I was complaining about that when they lose to DePaul at home a couple weeks back. Butler on Butler on the road, that's a tough game, especially because I fucking told you Jordan Tucker was going to heat up, and he dropped 20 in that game. He's a really, really good player, was a five-star recruit. Um, this team goes to Shamori Pons, goes, and he's probably a top-five player in the country. And if he doesn't play well, they're not going to play well, and that's just basically the way it is. I think they're going to sneak into the tournament, but they're not as good as, as we thought they were when they were 12-0. and 0. What else are you taking away from the Big East right now? Obviously, Everything it, else is pretty much like the Villanova same. Seems like Villanova is starting to, starting to really round into form. Seems like Marquette is, is a team that's to be reckoned with. You know, Xavier's always kind of right there. Creighton's kind of right there. Well, Xavier's other having a de- down year, and I believe St. John's just beat Marquette. Um, but aside from that, there's not really any standout teams. Um, Villanova's still the cream of the crop. Villanova's still the cream of the crop, and they're going to be there at the end. They'll probably win the tournament. They were number 22. I don't know where they are now, especially after all the shakeup that happened in the top 25. They're 18. Okay, so they moved up four spots there. Um, I, I expect them to be there, don't you? Absolutely, and Marquette's sitting there at number twelve. So the, you know they always have two. Last year it was Xavier. They always have two good teams. And Xavier was a one seed last year. Yeah, um, Xavier's fallen off this year. We'll see how they do. They'll probably make the tournament, but we're, they're not going to go very far. They just don't have the players this year. But 
Yeah, Big East is pretty much status quo as well as the American Conference. I guess you would say, what, Cincinnati's the cream of the crop there? Cincinnati right now is the best team in the American. The American's really down this year, especially because Wichita State – has has re, is redeveloping a lot of their their program. They've lost a lot of talent in the last few years. Graduating, UConn, they're they're, UConn. they're they're really rebuilding. They're in a tough spot, man. Um, they did blow out Tulane, so at home on Saturday, whatever they since we last talked, they lost at Tulsa, a game you can't lose, and then they lost to Tulane or they beat Tulane uh, in Hartford, so they. Things remain the same with the Yukon Huskies. They're they're still a while away. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, everything's pretty much status quo in those two conferences. We don't really have to talk about the American, but Yukon plays in it. So basically college basketball this year, man, a lot of parody and it's gonna be more fun than last year, I think. And last year was a hell of a lot of fun when you have uh teams that you've never heard of like Loyola Chicago going to the final four yeah and I think this year so far it's setting up for another one of those kind of teams I mean Nevada probably the best out of you know non-power five team that looks you know probably the best obviously Gonzaga is always a team to be reckoned with out of the west coast conference and the rest is going to be highlighted by Zion and Duke and crew and then we'll just see how good they can play come tournament time. And also, I expect Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats to be a, a formidable foe, as they always are when they play their best basketball come March. Out of the Pac-12, I don't know what to expect. I didn't put them on the show notes because there's nothing out there that's really interesting me. No. I mean, you have Porter Jr. Uh, playing at USC, who's going to be uh, a, a number one p- a pick probably somewhere between – I would say probably seven and and 20 in the first round. Other than that, you know, UCLA is really far down. Arizona's not that good. Arizona State's not that good. Oregon with ball ball out is a team that a lot of people pick to win that conference. Not so much now. They're not very good. There's just not a lot of fun things going on out there. Utah, struggling team. I don't know what to say about the Pac-12. I mean, it kind of felt the same about football. Washington. What's Washington this year? Washington State, no good. There's just nothing really about the Pac-12 nah, don't that really catches have your to, eye. Don't really have to talk much about it. One correction, St. John's beat Creighton by 20 earlier Twenty earlier this week, not Marquette. So that was a mistake on my part. I was just excited about the Johnnies getting a dub. There you go. But let's move on to some MLB because a few things happened. Um, me and you texted back and forth about this. We're obviously going to lead with the Yankees. I mean, come on. You listen long enough, you know we're going to lead with our team. And it was actually a pretty busy week, too. So, so the Yankees went out, and they went ahead and signed a Super Bowl pen, ma- making it um, Adam Adovino out of Colorado to a three-year, $27 million deal. Now, you texted me this, and I was excited, but I gave you a couple, um, you know, sorry, sports CEO. I said, I get what I want, a sorry, sports CEO, and you know what I want. I want Machado. But this is a big-time signing. Let's talk about this, and then we'll talk about, obviously, Machado and Harper later on. I'm glad you're finally acknowledging how good of a signing this was. Oh, it's huge. I mean, because then you have that. We've already mentioned the big names, like the Britain, and I'm not going to go down the list. We don't have to. But then if you can have Holder and and, um, what's-his-face from Canely do anything, just a semblance and be mop-up guys, I mean, this is the best bullpen ever created. This is the best bullpen ever created on paper, and, and on paper, I the should way I look at it is that. this: I mean, Araldis Chapman was an All Star last year, 
and until his knee really started barking, he was the best closer in baseball. Batances was got Batances who found himself again after a really bad ending to 2017, and what he did in the postseason was simply brilliant. You've got Chad Green who had a little bit of a second year sophomore slump, but I expect him to be good again, if, especially if he can develop well, any we kind know of what, off-speed pitch. We know what Boone did wrong with him because he's better coming in every three days and giving you multiple innings. That's right. what he is. He's a dominant three inning or two two or three inning guy. You should not be pitching him two games in a row, one inning. That's just not what he is. I agree with you totally, and we'll see You know what formula they go with. They so got I would nothing just say out of misused him. Yeah, they got nothing out of Tommy Canely. And if they can get him back to 2017, that is a all-star caliber arm. Holder was a nice surprise in that bullpen. We'll see what he can do in his second year. But obviously you have Zach Britton, who they re-signed. You lost David Robertson, but in my opinion, you replaced him with a better pitcher at this stage and younger. And that's Adam Adovino, who has... One of the nastiest pitchers in all baseball with his slider. So you're you're throwing Chapman's fastball slider combo, Britain's sinker, Batances' fastball curveball mix, and now Ottavino slider. I mean, this bullpen, I just hope to God that Gary Sanchez can catch these guys because their stuff is absolutely filthy. Three years, 27. David Robertson signed for two years, 23. This was a better deal. And it seemed like it was coming down to the L.A. Angels and uh, and the Yankees and and he just he's a local kid he he's from he's from the New York area and he wanted to come back and pitch for the Yankees it seemed like that was going to be an inevitable move yeah. if as long as they offered a similar deal to other teams and what an incredibly great signing I mean I'm yeah. so excited about this because I'm fired up too they could have been very complacent with Zach Britton but the trend Brian Cashman and the Yankees have shown really since they acquired Araldis Chapman from the Reds three years ago is we have to have the greatest bullpen in baseball. Yeah. And they have dedicated themselves to doing that, shortening games, and also having the flexibility of really never needing more than five and a third to six innings from a starter. Yeah, and, and Sean's really excited about this. And for the Yankee fans that don't, Really, yeah, a bullpen signing is still a bullpen signing. It's not like they went out and got, you know, um, Craig Kimbrell or or even a starter like Dallas Keuchel or something or Machado. This is huge for people that don't understand because if the Yankees don't go out and get another starter, which I believe they will if things shake out the right way, they don't need one at this point. No, they don't because because right of now, the because of the significance of this signing. Period. Yes, and also I think the rotation is highly underrated. Uh, as long as they're healthy, which has been a concern. You know, Severino has to pitch like he did in the first half of last year, not the second half. Paxton needs he's to stay an healthy, ace. period. If, Haxon, if Paxton's healthy, he's an ace. And Tanaka, do you trust anybody more in a big game than Tanaka? No, not at all. So, And then you've got Jay Happ, who's steady, rock solid, AL Great force starter. Yep, you know, proven in the AL East. And then you've got Sabathia, who... I know people like to talk about his leadership role, and of course that's important, but people got to remember too, he's been a really good pitcher since the beginning of 2017. He pitches to a mid-3 ERA. You know you're going to deal with a DL stint or two. If he makes 24 starts instead of 32, I think they're going to be and better. With a, and with a bullpen like this, man, who knows? You could you could skip a few starts with CeCe, and you could go with an opener, yeah, period. You, you could, could have holders open a game, and you and then Canely, and then so on and so forth, and just put together a game. And you have... Depth, too, with Lil Isaac and Herman, who I think both of those guys, 
can serve as that swing man too to give you a couple innings if you're yeah. playing a double header. This move was huge, and, and I don't want to say it's bigger than a Machado move because that guy plays every day and he's the best. He's probably a top three player in baseball, but when it comes from what the Yankees are a strength at, you just added to it immensely. And this team is ready to go to a World Series whether or not they sign a Manny Machado. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. And and to, to finish up on Adam Adovino, they had to make this move, in my opinion, because you lost David Robertson. And yeah. and you needed that another guy who well, it would have gone to if make it up from last if year. If they didn't make this move, it would have completely gone against everything that that um that they've been preaching since they got Chapman, Cashman's been saying bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. If they don't make this move, then they're then they're going against everything that they're talking about. Saving money, the luxury tax, and the bullpen needs to be great. It's like you're not going to get Machado, and you're not going to get this guy. What the fuck are you guys doing? So it was exactly. a must. Do move three years. Three years, twenty-seven million for this guy is a fantastic deal, especially on the heels of the Zach Britton signing. So, another move that happened. It seemed like it dragged on for the last four days. Was the Yankees have finally last traded. four days tries tries since April of last year, yeah, basically. But it seemed like the deal was done, and then just nothing happened. You were waiting for the final final report, but Sonny Gray is no longer a New York Yankee. He's now a Cincinnati Red. I think he'll be. Great out there. We kind of have this understood, man. We we don't think Sonny Gray's a bad pitcher. He just the experiment failed in New York. He was pretty good on the road, but the you, Reds are making some moves too. I like the Reds. We'll finish up with the Yankees side and then move on over what this means for Gray and the Reds. The Yankees got rid of him. I give Cashman credit. He was able to get a nice little piece for for this guy. Um, who he admitted just didn't work in New York. He could have kept continuing to run him out there and doing what he could, but he knew the experiment failed. Don't don't ruin a guy mentally. You don't need him. Uh, the everything that he did, both vocally and then through the moves he made, said that he had no intention of of Gray being on the roster. Even if trades didn't work out, there was no way you could have him send him to spring training. Broken guy in New York. I wish him nothing but the best. He didn't seem like he was a bad guy. Just couldn't pitch, and it would just snowballed, especially when he was wearing pinstripes. As for the Reds, you said the Reds have been making moves. They got Alex Wood, Yasiel Puig, Matt Kemp for in the big trade with the Dodgers. Um, I I really like a lot of what they've done. They got Tanner Roark from the Nationals, and not only did they get Sonny Gray, but they signed him to a three-year, $30 million extension. He's reunited with his old pitching coach from Vanderbilt, who's now the pitching coach in Cincinnati. The fact they were able to extend him was big because they might get they might get really good again soon. They have a lot of talent both on the major league roster and also coming up through their system. How do you feel about the Reds? Because we're going to transition soon into the National League wish list to do the part two of what we started last week. I think they're, they're a, a sleeper move. wild card team. I mean, the NL East is pretty deep this year. The NL Central is pretty good as well. I mean, you have the Cardinals revamping. The Cubs are always there. And now the Reds are just the yet Brewers another were in team. The Brewers in the NLCS last year. And, of course, year. the Brewers. But they're definitely a sleeper wild card team. They may be one of my picks if they can get hot. Because getting Puig and getting him out of L.A. may be the best thing for him. Kemp last year had an all-star season, so if he can sustain that, I think he'll be great. And this team has a good staff as well, and they have some good bullpen guys as well. Um, on top of that. So I like the Reds, and they also have a few guys coming up. They were able to get off of Billy Hamilton, who everybody's enamored with, but let's face it. I mean, the guy's going to steal you 50 bags, but he's also going to hit 210. 
Right, with no pop so, whatsoever. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think they did a great job in this trade, great job all around, because then the Yankees went and flipped the second base prospect that they got for a center field prospect. Yeah, so they got... Which sh- makes me think that Floreal may be a piece that's available now. Well, they got Shed Long, who was the number seven ranked prospect in the Cincinnati organization, which is a pretty nice piece, and they also got the Reds draft pick. Pretty nice piece for a guy that you literally said if you weren't going to trade him, basically that they're going to cut him. Right, exactly. So I think the extension certainly helped with the haul that they were able to get back. And then the Yankees, who are pointy deep in the infield, don't just look at, obviously, on the major league level with LeMahieu and, and Tulowitzki, Glaber, and Duhar, and, and the rest. And, easy. <laughs> You've also got guys like Thyro Estrada down in, in, in the minors and Tyler Wade, who they still like, I think, as a, as a utility guy. So there's plenty of, plenty of infield depth on this team both on the major league roster and in the minors. So you flip him over to Seattle. The Yankees have to do another trade with the Mariners. I think it's I think it's written in the Bible somewhere that they have to. Um, and they acquire an outfield prospect from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and his name is, let me pull it up, Josh Stowers, who is, their, is one of their big prospects. But the big thing about him is he's in single A. So I think the reason that they made this move was it was not any danger to Floreal. They they didn't want to waste a forty man roster piece, uh, and 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 uh, Shed Long was going to cost them a roster spot on the forty man. You don't have to do that with this guy. He's a long way away. So Cashman preserving some forty man roster rights. There you go. So works out, and I think this guy was one of the top prospects in Seattle. Although he's super he, duper young, but he's a while away. But yeah, I mean, listen, like I said, I think it could open up the door for a Floreal trade if you want to go out and get Corey Kluber. Yeah, or you use him too. I mean, now what they've done is they've they've added another highly thought of outfield prospect to their system, and whether they want to use him for their own personal depth or if they want to develop him further and trade him in the summer or next winter or use him now for maybe a sleeper trade for a guy like a Corey Kluber. Uh, a lot they, of flexibility. I can't argue with the move at all. No, and like you said, man, I mean, they were able to get Shed Long and and then be to parlay him into this for a guy that you wanted no part of and had told teams actively that you were going to trade. So... I hope Sonny has a good career over there. I mean, we saw the Reds take a chance on another New York pitcher in Matt Harvey when he was DFA'd by the Mets, and he did pretty well out there and was able to get himself a one-year incentive-laden deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Let's see if, if Gray can kind of recapture some of that some of that success that he had in Oakland and now having his old pitching coach from Vanderbilt, which turned him into one of the top draft picks in all of baseball by the A's it seems like he's in the perfect place. So I'm rooting for him. I don't think he's a bad guy. It just wasn't going to work here. And and kudos to Cashman for acknowledging that and not trying to just beat a dead horse. Absolutely. So last week we we did a little rundown of the AL for what we think they need to do before spring training. So let's look up over at the senior circuit and the NL and we'll go through that. And obviously we're going to do a full preview of the MLB when spring training is just kicking off. But Right now, let's just take a look at some of the NL teams. We'll start off in the NL East. One of the best divisions, if not the best division in baseball. Deepest division, in my opinion. So let's lead off with the team from our local area with the New York Mets. How are you feeling about them? I think they have a few more moves tucked away, um, but I think they've had the best spring or the best offseason by far. I think they've had a tremendous offseason. Now, obviously, this is all 
as of right now. It's on paper, as yeah, you said earlier. And there's no, uh, with no other deals made yet. I mean, I think we're under the impression the Phillies are going to do something big. But as of right now, at looking at that division, I, I still think the Atlanta Braves are the best team. Now, they went out and they did a couple things, but the Mets, they went out and made the splashiest moves, but I think also the best. We know that they acquired Robinson Cano and um, and Edwin Diaz from the Seattle Mariners. They just got one of the best closers in all of baseball, if the not best. the best. And then they got a proven player in New York who still has plenty left, in my opinion, Robinson Cano. I don't think he's going to be the player that he was in New York, but if they get the player that he was in Seattle that's an actually major league bona fide bat to put in the middle of that lineup. Cespedes coming off that double heel surgery is tough, but he's not coming back till around the summer. If at all there, Omar Minaya basically came out and said, if we get anything out of this guy, it's a blessing. Then you were looking over at third base. They've been talking to a couple of guys. Cause I don't know if they believe in Todd Frazier, but he's going to still hit for pop, but they went out and they signed Jed Lowry to the same kind of deal the Yankees signed uh, DJ LeMahieu, and he's going to play all over the place. He's a he is a legitimately great player. I mean he he can hit for power. He's had an awesome career in Oakland and a little bit in Houston too. He plays second and short. He'll play some third. He's going to hit for pop. He's going to hit for average. He's a great on base guy. Super flexible with what the Mets allow want to do. I mean they're going to hope that Peter Alonso is their first baseman. He's their top prospect, and I think he's ready to break camp. In the outfield, they acquired uh, Keon Broxton from the Milwaukee Brewers. Is kind of a buy-low guy. Great gloves, super fast. We'll see if he, they team him up with Ligaris. I like a lot of what the Mets have done. You've yeah. got Conforto still. Conforto, who had a down year. This is a guy who they were saying is going to win a batting title someday. All-star the year before. So if he can return to that form, I think he might be in the conversation for a top 10 MVP player. He could if be. If he can put the team on his back. They also got Nimmo as well, who was kind of low on the Mets list for prospects. And then he just exploded. He had a really good year, particularly in the second half last year. And it adds a lot of excitement and, and spunk to that team. He's going to hit the top of the order. And then obviously you got the shortstop Rosario as well, who I think the bat's going to come around this year. He kind of had a down second half last year, but I think he can figure it out. He's got the tools to be really good. And I think if they're patient with him, I think having a guy like Lowry there to mentor him and they to also play made with a nice him, move at catcher. Will, or yeah, Wilson Ramos, I was going to get to him. That was Because Darno was, was a failed experiment for a few terrible, years. Terrible, and same with Polowiecki, who they sh- uh, shipped off to the Indians. Will, or, uh, Wilson Ramos is a top catcher in baseball. There was a lot of rumors they were going to have a deal with JT Real Muto. They, they decided they did not want to part with the kind of pieces that the Marlins were asking they for. They got the better deal here. And they got the better deal. They signed Wilson Ramos to a, a nice three-year deal. And there's a lot to like about Wilson Ramos. He's going to hit for power. He's going to play really good defense. He calls a good game. He's one of those guys that if he hadn't been hurt the last few years, up and down, when the Phillies got him, I mean, he almost propelled them into the playoffs. He had that really turnaround first half with the Rays. He's a guy that a lot of teams want. And he didn't sign for a huge deal because I think some of those injury concerns. So another really good move by the New York Mets, Brody Van Wagenen. Yeah, and, and just to look up and down at the Mets, obviously the offense got tremendously improved as well as the bullpen getting uh, Edwin Diaz J- as Rose well Familia. as Familia. Yep. And that staff is still top end in baseball. 
Oh, yeah. And then they got the reigning Cy Young, Syndergaard, who could w- go out and win one anytime. And then you have Wheeler and Matt as well. And and you've been saying it on the pod since the season ended. Vargas cannot be as bad as he was last year. It's almost physically impossible. So if they can get anything out of him, this team's going to compete for the division. I, I believe that they will. Um, just on paper, now they lost Wilmer Flores, but they replaced him with Chad Lowry, which I think is the better move. That's an upgrade. I think what they need to hope is that Jeff McNeil becomes continues to have success like he did in the second half of last year, particularly towards the end. They got to hope Peter Alonso blossoms into the prospect that they or into the player that they believe he's going to be since he's been the top rated prospect in the system. You you hope that the shortstop Rosario turns into a little bit better, more consistent with the bat, identifies the strike zone a little bit better because he's a free swinger. But there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic in Queens. Moving on down the line, the Atlanta Braves, who won the division last year, upgraded by getting the former 2015 AL MVP and Josh Donaldson on a one-year incentive-laden deal to be their third baseman. What an upgrade there. And then they got they brought back Mr. Brian McCann to, to platoon with Tyler Flowers. who Not to mention they also really got nice another player. former MVP in Andrew McCutcheon. No, you went to the Phillies, my oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got those two yeah, teams confused. We, yeah, so. You know, names and shit. <laughs> and teams. But, yeah, but I, I absolutely, yeah, pretty much everything. But it's crazy because I know my stuff. I just, you know, they got a little, little confused. Jumbled. But you're happy to proclaim yourself as every title under the sun. Maybe yes. If you could dedicate that time to remembering um, people, then we'd be better. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Josh Donaldson was a huge pickup for them, and McCann's going to do a really good job catching that young staff they have out there. So... And I think he's only going to be. I think he's only going to catch about fifty games. But I think just having that veteran leadership and on a young team that knows how to win. Yeah. Um. I'm very interested to see they have they do have a corner outfield spot available. I think re-signing Marcakis. If you want to look at the wish list, I think re-signing Marcakis makes a lot of sense. I know they're they've been, either that or Marwin Gonzalez is going to be out there. One of the two. Yeah, and Gonzalez can play all over He's the place. He's an NL player because he can play everywhere. So you can double switch him. You can move him around, give guys days off when you don't have a DH. So I think that Marwin Gonzalez would fit, honestly, even better than Marcakis. Although Marcakis did just have an all-star year. Yeah, first time in his career. And this is a time now where clearly he's not going to – you don't have to sign him to a big deal. You know the player. You know he's been good with your organization. You just won the division. Not to mention you have Ozzy Albies. Not to mention you have Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, this team, young talent, is really, really blossoming into yeah. what seems like they could be another perennial division winner well, like Albies they were a, from the 90s into the early 2000s. Albies is probably, what, the best maybe top three second baseman in baseball? Without question. And Acuna is going to be a top outfielder for years to come. No doubt about it. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the Braves are pretty loaded. I think all they need now is their corner outfielder and... They've been rumored to be in the Craig Kimbrell sweepstakes. They could bring him back. Obviously, he had a lot of success early in his career with the Atlanta Braves. But they've gone through their rebuild, and clearly they're a team to be reckoned with, and now they're going for it. I thought the Donaldson signing was key. Now we'll move over to the Philadelphia Phillies, where who did sign Andrew McCutcheon earlier in the offseason. Whoops. <laughs> well, I think that that was a good deal. I mean, they gave him a lot of money, but clearly – He's a player. He's a winning player, man. We saw him with win an MVP in Pittsburgh. We saw what he did over with the Yankees when they when they acquired him. Great on base guy. He's going to hit in the middle to upper tier of that order as is currently constituted. They acquired Gene Segura to play shortstop at least for right now. That was an upgrade from what they've had. He's an all star. He's an all star player. 
You've got to like Reese Hoskins is, is moving back to first base, which is where he belongs. They were able to trade Carlos Santana to Seattle, who then flipped him right back to Cleveland. That was a deal that I think they really wanted to work, but for Reese Hoskins, who's one of their top young players to be successful, he can't be playing in the outfield. First no. base is his spot. I mean, basically for the Phillies, they're going to get either Harper or Machado. I think it's almost inevitable that they have so much money to spend and they're willing to go out there and get it. It's honestly a wait and see at this point to see who they go out and grab. Yep. So my I wish, think Harper's going to be on that team. So on the wish list right now for the Phillies, if you believe the reports that were circulating midweek last week, they have visions of signing Harper, Keuchel, and Kimbrell. Now, if they could do that, there's your marquee superstar, and you have an outfield now headlined by Harper and McCutcheon. And then if you sign Keuchel, he's the best free agent starter on the market right now. You slide him into that rotation with the Jake Arrieta and, of course, the uh, Adam Nola. Uh, yeah, Aaron Andrew, Nola. Aaron Nola, Nola yeah, his name is. who finished in third in the Cy Got the Young. last name right. You Give did. Credit. Uh, there's... <laughs> um, that's a lot of talent on that team. And, of course, Kimbrell, Kimbrell they, in the back end. they need that. So, for me, is don't worry about signing the two superstars. I think you're covered on the infield. Segura is going to win you a lot of games. You have Cesar Hernandez at second, who's a really nice player, too. Go get those three. Get your front-line starter. Get your top-tier closer. Not and to then mention get the top outfielder. Mikel Franco at third base who had a terrible year last year. So if he can do anything and turn it around when this guy was one of the best young prospects in baseball a few years back, I think he's going to turn it around, especially with a little bit more of a padded lineup. Good call on him. I, I mean, he can hit. We know that. He's a free swinger. He needs to clean that up a little bit. And he's young. He, yep. And, and, you know, sometimes when you're a young player on a bad team, it, it it's not as severe if you don't, if you make mistakes day in and day out. But they were right in there in the NLE's battle really up until mid-September when, when the Braves just took over. So I think they're ready. And then you look at the Washington Nationals, who were the biggest disappointment in baseball last year, and it wasn't even close. Now they've gone out and done what they can by signing Patrick Corbin, um, who was the best starting pitcher on the free agent market, to a six-year, $140 million deal. They snatched him up very quickly. It seemed like the Phillies wanted him badly, and the Nationals stole him. So they have they now put him into a rotation with Strasburg and, well of as course, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. I mean, that's geez, nasty. that's a top three to be reckoned with. We'll see what happens with Harper. If they lose Harper, I mean, they're, you can't say you can replace him easily, but we saw what Juan Soto did. You've Not got to Victor mention, Robles yeah, coming. Yeah, Robles coming up. And then they went out and they got a steal in um, the second baseman, Brian Dozier. They did. One that, year, was, that was probably the biggest steal I've seen in a long time. One year, $9 million for a, a former All-Star This guy baseman. can make another All-Star team as well. He's still pretty much in his prime. Yep, and they re-signed Matt Adams too. Yeah, so and, I, and that team was already stacked as well. I mean, the talent around it with um, Adam, what's um, Rondon, whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, Anthony Rondon. The third baseman, Zimmerman, they got Trey Turner. Trey Turner. There's I mean, a this lot. team's really good. They ha- David Martinez better put this team together. Oh, he's fired if not. Because they, even if they don't sign Harper, they should still probably compete for the NL East and at least a wild card. There's too much talent on this team to just dismiss them. I know we've talked up the Mets a lot. We've talked up the Phillies and the Braves a lot. The Nationals have just been kind of the best team in the NL East for a while, long time now. And there's a now. reason why we said this team has by far the most talent. 
I mean, or, or sorry, this division has by far the most talent as well. So, I mean, looking down at the basement, how long do we want to talk about the the um, Florida? Miami Marlins? Whatever. Uh, that was two seconds. What are you doing with JT Real Muto? That's it. Other than that. Love you, Jeter. Yeah, just continue to build up your farm system, progress, and lose a lot of games. Um, moving on over to the NL Central. Milwaukee Brewers won the division. Um they went to the NLCS and lost to the Dodgers in six. Actually, in seven, check that. I really like the Milwaukee Brewers. What's not to like about this team? I still think Mike Moustakas makes a lot of sense to re-sign. You gave up a little bit to get him to the Royals. He played really well for you down the stretch. I think they should re-sign Moustakas. I think they will. Other I think than, they're playing hardball with him. They might. I mean, I, I don't know where else he has a fit. So The uh, outfield is perfect there between Braun and they have um and obviously Yelich and, and Kane. So yeah. this team is loaded. They didn't re-sign Scope. No, he went to he, Minnesota. He didn't play well at all for them. I know, but I think a full season with Scope at the bottom of the lineup especially they because not a glove. I know. I, I was really upset with that. I thought they could have got him for nothing and I think they really should have re-signed him cuz I don't know what they're going to do with second base. They're going to they're, yeah. they're going to figure it out. Um clearly they didn't believe that Send that giving him the uh, qualifying offer was worth it. I mean, he would have get, had to give him about a $14 million qualifying offer that he obviously would have taken from a bad year in Baltimore and over to Milwaukee. They they don't value that money to be sunken into him. Let's see what he does in Minnesota. But I still think the Brewers are the cream of the crop of this division. Wow. Obviously, this is another deep division because, I mean, you want to move on down the line because their bullpen's nasty. Josh Hader's the best. And then, obviously, you have Corey Knable, too. And their starting pitching's fine. I think Wade Miley still makes a lot of sense for them to re-sign because he pitched some very valuable innings for them. I like them a lot. What's yeah. not to like? But, I mean, yeah, the I like them, too. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you on that front, but I don't know. I mean, I think that the Cubs are going to be a, a team that's going to be reinvigorated this year, and I think they're going to have a great year, especially full-time Javi Baez at shortstop. Um, his natural position as opposed to second base. Um, let's just go, dive on in on them, and then we'll talk about the Cardinals well, after that. Well, we can't that. even give them a wish list. I mean, we, we said that the Brewers just re-signed Moustakis. I don't think the Cubs have one because they're not spending any money. They've basically come out and said that they're not. They're, I don't they're, think the Cubs need to. I think the Cubs had a down year last year. Well, their bullpen still is a major question mark for me, and I think their rotation is too. I mean, what are you getting from you, Darvish? He was a disaster until he got hurt, and he missed basically the whole year. Uh, I don't know what to expect out of him. Obviously, all right, you're Arietta's talking me gone. off him a little bit. Too. I, I don't. I'm not in love with this team. Um, their their pitching staff really is a question to me. I mean, top end sc- talent. They have some studs. They're going to score of plenty of runs. Rizzo and Bryant, Bias, top three. I mean, but all three of those guys can finish top three MVP. Schwarber's going to hit. He hit a lot better, you know, really from May on last year. Yeah, he just takes a while to heat up. I mean, Hayward's really clogging up their their money, though, man. That's that's a that's a broken deal. I mean, you've got guys like Boat who who came up and had a, and had a lot of success, but their struggle last year was scoring runs. They didn't score any runs really. Down I think the that's going to change year. this year. I mean, listen, but you're right. The pitching staff, I mean, Darvish doesn't really do it for me. I mean, Lester, how long is he going to continue Hendricks to do this? Kyle Hendricks had a down year, and, and Lester's old. So you definitely could be right. Let's look at a team that's on the come up because you said the Cubs aren't spending any money. So what is there to talk about? They don't really have a deal that they can make. The St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, they went out and got the best first baseman in baseball, top three player in baseball, and Paul Goldschmidt does everything. 
Gold Glove first baseman will steal you 15 bags, will hit 30 home runs, and will hit you 310 as well with 120 RBIs. They also went out and got a, a guy that's one of the an ace bullpen guy in Andrew Miller. I think this team's definitely on the come up. I mean, you've got to love the Cardinals because they're a steady organization. They always know what they're doing. There was a report that they're looking at an extension with Miles uh, Mikolas, the um, starting pitcher for them. He's nasty. They got Dijon as shortstop as well. They're deep. Yeah, this team is stacked. They're really deep. Um, I, I like everything about the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that right now I would probably pick them to finish second in that division. Okay, maybe um, steal a wild card. Yeah, but behind uh, behind the Milwaukee Brewers, I think the Cubs are taking a little bit of a step back. You're right. I, the more I look at the team, because I was just thinking about those big names up front. Listen, they're, they're, they should score more runs, which is definitely true. But, you know, Daniel Murphy was a big move that they made. He's now gone. So, I don't know. Their biggest problem was scoring runs in the second half of last year. I don't know what all of a sudden is going to happen and and their pitching staff has so many question marks i don't know i mean is brandon morrow coming back and being a top end closer he missed basically all of last year so i I question them i look over the cardinals and i still think that they have a move to make and i think they have a third base vacancy and i would look at mike moustakas for them i think a one-year two-year deal with him i think he made a lot of sense last year for them i think to steal him away from the milwaukee brewers would be huge if i'm the st louis cardinals Maybe pick up a, another reliever, somebody like a swingman, maybe an Adam Warren type guy. Um, you have Andrew Miller now. Uh, obviously, you have Jordan Hicks, who's the who throws 103 miles per hour as your closer, yep. dominant arm. You got Miller to to help bridge the gap. To they him. could go out and get a guy like Cody Allen as well. Well, Cody Allen signed with the Los Angeles Angels so already, can't. so no, right. they cannot do that. Um, but an Adam Warren is still out there. There's a couple names out there uh, as far as what they could do. I would look at third base, and I would look at uh, another you know complimentary piece for the bullpen as far as the Cardinals are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I think they just have to get some auxiliary pieces. They they went out and made their big splashes. Um, but I think a guy like Mustakis would fit in perfectly for them as well because he's a good third baseman defensively. He's nothing. He's not Machado. He's nothing special, but he'll make all the plays, and then he's going to hit you 30 bombs in his sleep, and he's going to hit you around 250. So I absolutely think that's a good deal. So um, moving on down, though, we have the Cincinnati Reds up next. We already talked to them um, in 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 length a little bit earlier. How do you how do you feel about them? I like all the moves that they've made so far. I like all the moves they've made so far because they're not none of them are tying them into long term deals. You know, Alex Wood, Matt Kemp, and Yasiel Puig are all going to be done with their contracts at the end of this year. But they can offer a lot of value in the meantime, and or if they trade perform them. well, that's kind of how I look at it. If they perform well, you're going to be in the mix, and if they don't. You're not, but you don't. You're not. You're not bound to them post uh, post 2019. And if they're playing well, but you're not, that's a lot of trade assets right there to make. You you got Sonny Gray, who I think is going to be really good over there. You and I just both discussed that, and we're in agreement there. I like the Cincinnati Reds, and they have a lot of good young talent who I, either is here or or is on the come up. And I don't think this is their year yet, but. I think by 2020, 2021, they're that next surprise team because they've stunk for a long time. And if you have still have Joey Votto, you've got Scooter Jeanette. You're going to score plenty of runs with those guys. Um, Suarez over at third, who's an all-star caliber player. I like the Reds. 
Absolutely. So let's move on to the basement of the NL Central, I guess, and both of our, our opinions because we haven't mentioned them. The Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I mean, I don't really know. They, they gave away Cole last year. Marte, supposedly the Dodgers are looking into him. He had a steroid thing last year, but he's a stud player. Aside from that, I guess I have Corey Dickerson. I, I don't really know. I think this team's in full rebuild. Their wish list to me, hope to God that Chris Archer pitches well so you can then trade him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and everybody else that has value because they're stuck kind of in that purgatory of they don't suck. I, I think they're going to lose the division because I think the division's too good. When we do our full preview, we'll, we'll really explain it then because then most of the offseason moves, if not all, will be complete. But I don't have a, anything on their wish list for them other than hope to get production from guys and, and, and be and, and fire sale throughout the season and really develop those prospects. I think that's what you have to do. You can't be caught in between. you got to make a decision. They did have that little mini run that allowed them to think that they were buyers there come the trade deadline and acquire a guy like a Chris Archer from the Tampa Bay Rays. But I look at the guys that they traded. They traded Tyler Glass now. That's a really good, young, controllable pitcher. I mean, you've got Jamison Tyon. They have plenty of guys there. But I don't know why you would trade a guy like like Garrett Cole and then trade a guy like Jamison Tyon for Chris Archer, who hasn't been good in about four years. Well, they didn't trade Tyon. They traded Glass. Well, that's what I mean. They traded Glass now. So now you've got, you've, you've got right now... Like why why wouldn't you why wouldn't you trade Tyon? I mean, it, yeah. it seems like for some guys they're ready to trade, and other guys they're not. I mean, they, yeah, they're there a little was, half pregnant when it comes to that. There was no reason to have to trade uh, Garrett Cole, and there was no reason to trade Glass. Now, I think they could have gotten that deal done for Archer without him. So I'm very interested to see what they what they end up doing and what direction they go in. But for me, if I'm if I'm a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, I say you know what. Let's start on over. It seems like almost everybody else is that that's not ready to win. So hope that the guys play well and then hope to trade them all. Absolutely. So let's move on to the final division, and that's out west in the NL West. So we'll lead off with the losers, the runners-up in the World Series, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think they need to go out and get a guy like a, like a Starling Marte. They need a splash. How about a Bryce Harper? That'd be nice. I don't know. Is he linked to them still? No, I, they, I don't think so. He's not, but I think that that's, that's the splash to yeah, make. I, I'm in agreement with you, but Marte's is going to cost you prospects, but he's going to cost a lot less money, and the production numbers aren't at Harper's, but he does a lot of things better than Harper's. He's a very good bags, player. Better defender. Uh, he can hit for a little bit of pop. I wouldn't say he's a better player than Harper, but... He's pretty damn close to what Harper is. They also lost a guy in Brian Dozier, so second base. Do you play Kike Hernandez full-time, or do you let him be that super utility that, type guy? I think guy? their plan is to have him be their everyday second base. I baseman. think that's a good move, although they do have a Chris Taylor. I think he may be a full-time outfielder I think they now. like him in the outfield a lot better, man. Um, and you have Zeger coming back. And then Justin Turner's still there, Jock Peterson as well. Who's um, drawing a little bit of intrigue on the trade market as well. Absolutely. And then you have the other big lefty that I can't remember. Cody his Bellinger, name. Cody first Bellinger, base. first base. This team's back, and they're going to be back the same next year, and they're going to be right there leading that division. They lost Yasmani Grandel, which it seemed like they were fine to do. That is what it is. Um, they have Barnes, and they also acquired Russell Martin. Yeah, they're, they're fine at catcher. I think Grandel was on the way down as it was. Um, so I think Max Muncy stole that job from him. Yeah, and I think they they imagine well, a that's full why year I of think, Max Muncy is is better than than Yasmani Grandal. Well, and I don't think Muncy's I think Muncy's actually going to be their first baseman, and uh, Bellinger I think they're going to trade 
uh, Jack Peterson for a couple prospects because they really need to rebuild that system and put Bellinger out in center field. Well, that would be that would be bold. I like Bellinger. I think a little more in right. I think Chris Taylor yeah, maybe can, right. can, can can take center field. But trading Puig, I think, you know, Puig was what he was. Well, left field's also open because don't forget they traded Matt Kemp Matt as Kemp well. Too. So maybe Taylor plays left, and they really do go out and get a guy like Marte. I think that they want one more outfield piece, and I don't know if they're going to do it through the trade circuit or or in free agency. I think, I think Amar Wynn Gonzalez makes a lot of sense for the Dodgers. Absolutely. I just don't think that the, uh, clearly if they're looking to make a trade and they're not trying to spend money, they're not obviously not trying to spend Harper money. I don't even know if they're trying to spend Gonzalez money. I think they're going to try to spend money, um, and it, I think it's clear too that Marwin Gonzalez isn't going to fetch the kind of deal that we thought he was going to. So I think yeah. if you could, you mentioned he's a great National League type player, they saw what he did to them in the 2017 World Series, and the Dodgers like to have those really flexible guys, the Kike Hernandez's, the uh, Chris Taylors of the world, even the Cody Bellingers who can play right and first. I think Amarwin Gonzalez makes a lot of sense for that team. Absolutely, and I mean, you see these guys like Seager and Justin Turner on long. Justin Turner only played a quarter of the season last yeah, year. Yeah, but when he came back, he hit. He was great, but my point is, if he's going to end up on the DL again, because he's a guy that does find his way to the DL seemingly every year, you want a versatile guy like a Marwin Gonzalez as well. On the pitching staff, I mean, they have the stud pitcher at the at the top end. I can't remember his fucking name. Well, well <laughs> dude, you're bad. Obviously, well, Kershaw. Clay, yeah. but. They've got Kershaw, and obviously... Um, They've got their top. Oh my god! Now you ruined me for this. Whatever we know, we know exactly who we're talking the guy who about. Came ab- who came about? Was like a hundred. Was a um, stud. Kenley and- Jansen coming in the back end as well. So, I mean, why don't you like the Dodgers? I mean, especially no, now I too. do. I never yeah. said I didn't. No, so. but I'm, I'm saying that more hypothetically. It, it, especially too, because last year there was a three-team race in the National League West. My wish list for the Los Angeles Dodgers: get another corner outfielder, spend the money. They and, went out and got Joe Kelly as well. And they so. got Joe Kelly for the bullpen. I think their bullpen's fine. And their starters, uh, his name's Walker Bueller, That's by the way. It. And they have, um, what's his name coming off? He pitched a little bit in the playoffs, but he was their top pitching prospect, the lefty, Julio Ure or whatever. Urias, yeah, yeah, however you say his name Rich as well. Rich Hill's solid. He's I, fine. The other, here's what I'm saying. If I'm a Dodger fan, I want another corner outfielder. And I want maybe one more move to get a, to get some more prospects. That trade they made with the Reds got them a lot of prospects. So they lost Alex Wood too. Um, those were the three players that went in that deal. Just get another corner outfielder and continue to to assert yourselves in this division because as of last year it was a three team race. It seems like it's going to be a one because as you go down the division, the Colorado Rockies have lost DJ LeMayhew, and it seems like they're in a situation where they're they're not going to invest, and I think they'll come July. They got a Daniel Murphy. They did get Daniel Murphy. Their relief pitching was not what they thought it was going to be. Wade Davis is not what he was. They lost out of Eno. And they lost out of Eno. Now they still have Brian Shaw, but their bullpen's not the same. I think the Rockies are going to be – Probably looking at this, the second best team in the division. So what's your wish list move for the Colorado Rockies? Are you staying pat or do you want to make one more move to take over for an Adam Adovino? I think they need to make, I don't know who it's going to be. You could probably speak to that a little more, but I think they need to improve that bullpen. They have to improve that bullpen. Their starting pitching is... Aside eh. from that, I would say it's all the same. You just lost your starting second baseman. An all-star Plug second Daniel baseman, Murphy in there. But Daniel Murphy does not play second base very well. The guy has been hurt a lot, and he doesn't play a very good second base. We know that. I don't know really what to make of the Colorado Rockies. I think they're going to be taking a step back. 
I, I don't think they're nearly going to be the only reason that they why were. the only reason why I'm pumping the brakes on it, and I think they're going to take a step back as well is because I don't think the Padres are ready and I think the other two teams are going to take a bigger step back because the Arizona Diamondbacks got rid of their best player and I just think they're going to have an absolute fire sale. They also lost Patrick Corbin. The move for the Diamondbacks. And they're trying to move Zach Granke. The move for the Diamondbacks, and I think that you just segued it perfectly. My wish list for them is find some way, somehow, to trade Zach Granke. It's not going to work out there. You also traded Shelby Miller, which I thought was a really good move for them. Get out of that. That was a disaster. That kind of started this this downhill swing for them. They've traded a lot of good guys. I would also look to trade one of the shortstops, Nick Ahmed. Look to do that. You know, this team is is not what it was. Robbie Ray has been a guy on the trade market. I wouldn't look to deal him yet. Yeah, the I only would, guy I would hold on to is probably Lamb at third base. He's still really young. I would look, if I'm a Diamondback fan, if I'm looking at the Diamondbacks wish list, just trade Zach Granke. That's, that's the move you have to make. Yeah, you never know. I mean, St. Louis may go out there and grab him or something like that. I think it's a willing it's it's a willingness to eat X amount of money. If, if if because I think they have to get something in return. It can't just be all financial. They also have to get prospects back in return because he's still very good. He's not a pure salary dump. Yeah, and, and that's just to wrap up the Rockies. That's my only reason. We basically just talked about the D-backs, but that's my only reason why I feel that the Rockies are going to be the number two team is just because the D-backs fell behind, the Giants didn't do much, and the Padres are still years away, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, so let's we, talk about the Giants when we next. Do our predi- well. Yeah, when we do our predictions in a month or so, or a little longer than that, about two months, we'll discuss it then. I, I think more for now, a wish list is just please trade Zach Granke. And if you're the Rockies, if you are willing to compete, go get another reliever because you lost Ottavino. Wade Davis has not been that great. Obviously, Greg Holland from the year before was a big loss. So we're going to see what there it is there. To the Giants, I'm not, I'm not going to surprise you too much with this. Find a way to trade Madison Bumgarner when his value is the highest. That farm system is barren. You've also looked at a guy like a Mark Melanson, a Jeff Samarja, a Johnny Cueto. Trade those guys too. Even if it requires trading a Brandon Bell or a Joe Panic to sweeten the deal, you've got to do it. This farm system is really, really bad. I know they were talking about possibly Evan Longoria. I don't know who's taking that deal. You're stuck with him. Him or Posey are going to be there. Yeah. Period. So I, I think you you look at the starting rotation headlined by B- Mad Bum. I still think he's a guy that's going to win you a lot of games if you're if you're a contending team, and he's going to be the one that pushes you over the hill, a la uh, 2017 Justin Verlander. It's hard to pitch great when you're on a team that's not amazing. I don't. So think, by the sound of it, you still want the Yankees to go out and get him. I, I any contending team it would, but I think that's. But a you're move. a Yankees fan. True. I mean, I. So I, how I do would, you feel? I would love a Mad Bum. Um, I, I think that that's more of a July kind of deal. I don't think that's a January kind of deal. Um, but if I'm a Giants fan, I want a fire sale. I hope Melanson pitches well because I think even if these guys play well, they're not going to be good enough. They're not upending the Dodgers, and they're not. I don't even think better than the Rockies, even if the Rockies take a couple steps back. This team was really bad last year. They were really old. Joe Panic's a really nice player, as is Brandon Belt. I like Crawford a lot, too. A lot of postseason pedigree on this team, but that was a while ago. Find a way to move a Johnny Cueto, a Jeff Samarja, even if it's bad contract for bad contract. Get some kind of prospect back in return. Eat money if you have to. If I'm a San Francisco Giant fan, 
We saw them try to go for the rebuild last year. It didn't work out that way. You didn't get much from McCutcheon. So go out, and if you need to headline Mad Bum, I know he's an icon out there, but they have a new general manager who was not with them when they won. I think this is Bruce Bochy's last year. If I'm a Giant fan, my wish list, start trading the veterans and really start committing to to the new uh, youth movement. I'm in agreement with you there. So let's move on to the basement of the NL Central, in our opinion, and that is West. the or sorry, the NL West, and that is the. San Diego Padres, and they're just in the basement because they're. This isn't their time. They have the prospects to to win games. They're just not ready yet. My wish list for the San Diego Padres: blossom the young kids, let them all start if they're ready, and also do not go all in and trade any of them for an older guy or sign a big free agent. Keep it as the status quo. Develop the young kids, become the next Houston Astros, become the next Chicago Cubs, a team like that. They have the prospects to do it. They are fully loaded, headlined by Fernando Tatis Jr., who's the number one prospect in baseball. Don't trade anybody. Don't sign anybody big. You'd had it by Eric Hosmer, who you who's your big free agent acquisition last year, and just hope to God that the, that you're the next team where all your prospects hit. That's my if, if I'm a Padre. That's Keep my the status wish quo. All right. So that pretty much wraps up our MLB spring training preview. I guess we can call it that. Let's move on to another league that's actually being played right now. Unless you want to talk about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. I mean, There's not much movement. We can just finish up there, man. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's just getting me depressed at this point. So it's I, didn't, I wanted to kind of skip over it there, but you gave me that look. So January 21st, these guys still aren't signed. It's depressing. Manny um, Machado, the only thing that we heard last week as there was a little bit of drama that ensued um that came across on wednesday i believe a little bit after our monday chicago white Sox offered him a seven-year 175 million dollar deal the white Sox, you know never made it public but that was reported by Heyman, buster only and a couple others and then machado's agent dan lozano quickly shot that down said oh no 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 we have deals for much more i don't think the white Sox are going anything more than seven years or 225 that's a good thing for the Yankees. It is. Now, the question is going to be is what direction do the Phillies go? I think if the Phillies end up getting Harper, it seems like they're a little bit more onto Harper now than they were on Machado, and, and Machado was who they number number one target for the longest time. But I think if they believe that they can sign the Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, they'd rather get the outfielder. He's a bigger need than the infielder, especially when you have Mikel Franco and the newly acquired Gene Segura. If the Philadelphia Phillies sign Bryce Harper, it's going to be a two-team race. Unless a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers just decides out of nowhere, fuck it, let's go. The I, the Yankees are going to be lying in the weeds. I don't believe that they're going to do anything to, to – right now there's no reason to go nuts still. You know, at the end of the day, they're going to come back to him um, – and or rather he's going to come back to them and say here's the situation I'm in if he wanted to play for the Chicago White Sox unless the deal is just so ludicrously low that he could that he'd be insulted by signing it he would have already he done would it. have already signed with the Chicago White Sox if the Phillies offered him the deal he would have already signed with the Philadelphia Phillies we know the Yankees haven't offered him a deal and there's no reason to yet I still think there's a world in which it happens, although I think it's decreasing by the day. I think it's actually increasing from how depressing we were talking about it two weeks ago because of the fact that I think the Phillies' new deal that they're talking about where they get a closer, 
they get a, uh, a starter and they get Harper in the outfield. I mean, if you make it a two-team race, now there was a report there's a sleeper team. I don't know who that is. There's always the sleeper team yeah, or mystery but if team, it's, whatever bullshit But that if is. it's between the Yankees and the White Sox, I think the Yankees' chances are actually better than they were three weeks ago. Well, clearly he wants to be a Yankee. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But the Yankees aren't going to bid against themselves because there's no reason to. You know, well, then you have an A-Rod situation. It's a financial... It, it, it comes down to this. Is it going to be like Stanton last year, where they're lying in the weeds... We know the Yankees love Machado as a player, but they don't love him for ten years, and they don't love him for three hundred million. They don't. They've made every move this off season to show, hey, we don't need him, which we are in agreement that they don't need him. We no, want him, they but don't. they don't. They won a hundred games last year. I think Stanton's going to have a much better year, and also on top of that, you you have Tulowitzki. If he plays even well, you just need him for a few months before Didi comes back, and you've got Lemayhu who's going to help you in a lot of different ways. They're a better team, especially with the bullpen. They don't need Manny Machado, and I think that's their biggest leverage. They know they don't need him, but they certainly aren't going to turn their shoulder, cold shoulder to him. If we look at any kind of track record Cashman's had, if the situations are all comparable, I think the only way that they don't have a chance is if the Phillies just say, okay. Bryce Harper's going back to the Nationals or maybe a dark horse team like the Dodgers comes in and they say, okay, we got to get one of these two guys. We're going to go sign Manny and we'll give him, you know, 10 years, you know, 285 million. I don't want that anyway. So no, I, if that happened, I would, I would be fine. I would come on here and say, all right, you won Phillies, the deal. you it, won the war, the Yankees, or you won the battle, the Yankees will win the war. Yeah, it, it's all, it's all going to be dependent on what he signs for. But I'll tell you this. If he signs her anywhere around 7-2-25 and the Yankees don't go for it, I'm all for being financially flexible. I, I, I think that they can win with a homegrown team. I don't think they need to have the highest payroll in baseball to do it. But if you're turning down Manny Machado on for those terms, you're not doing your job, and I'm going to be very upset. As livid. For, as I'm going to be livid. As for Bryce, and I think he'll get a lot more than that. I'm just saying that if that is the situation that they're in and he goes to the White Sox, because you know the White Sox will not be the highest bidder, then that's an issue. That's a big issue. And we've been saying this for a month and a half, two months now, so who knows. As for Bryce Harper, it seems increasingly likely, likely that he's going to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. I feel the same way about him with the Nationals as I do about Machado with the with the White Sox. If he really wanted to be a National and the Nationals really needed him and wanted him back, he would be a Washington National. He knows the team. They really don't want to lose him to the division rival Philadelphia Phillies, especially when they're both on a, you know going to be battling for that NL East crown as they're all jumbled up with the Mets and the and the Braves and the like. If he's if he's going to be a Washington National, it should have happened already. You know, I, I I can't believe that we're into the third week of January and he doesn't know where he wants to go yet. So I think the Philadelphia Phillies. The report was last week on on Saturday they they had a five hour presentation and meeting with him in Las Vegas, and he's now their number one target along with then signing you know the dream of Kimbrel and and Keuchel too. My money is on the Philadelphia Phillies for Bryce Harper. Yeah, I think that they sign Harper, and then within the 24 hours, Keuchel and, and Kimbrell follow suit. It's got to happen soon. I know we keep saying it, and we sound like broken records to everybody who follows and listens to the podcast, but it's just getting ridiculous at this point that that these guys, the marquee free agents, are you know they have one to two to three teams tops really, really highly connected to them. It's 
they're clearly not going to get the watershed contract unless whoever, I'll put it this way, whoever the Phillies sign, that will be the high watermark. But anybody who thought they were getting close to the Stanton 325, they're going to be mistaken because it ain't happening. And I think Machado really did, it seems like, did his value get hurt by making those comments? I don't know if that's what did it. I don't know if it was more on the field with him, you know, not playing great in the World Series. Or I don't think it's anything. I think it's just the market and the way it is. The market, too. But I think that these guys are so transcendently great that there has to be something about these guys that uh, the majority of teams just look at and say, it's not worth us bending over backwards for. I think, and we'll wrap it up because we still have NBA to talk about, and we're about an hour and 20 in. You know, Harper is incredibly overrated. When you say transcendently great, I agree with you a thousand percent with Machado. But when I'm saying that Starling Marte is 80% to 90% of what Harper is, he's not transcendently great. But look, he's incredibly overrated. Yep. When you say that Giancarlo Stanton's bad year last year is a great year for Harper, he's not transcendently great. And I'm tired of the hype meeting up with how good he actually is and saying transcendently great. He is not transcendently great, period. No, but that but he has the brand name and the marquee and that alone and at twenty six doing what he has done, which he's had a very good he's had a very good career. But when I say transcendently great, I mean in the big picture. The the brand you know the brand name the guy that teams I are going to go you. out and, and and but when you look past all that over. stuff Manny Machado's transcendently great Bryce Harper's not and then we look at Machado and Nolan Arenado's free agent year is coming up next year and and there were already reports that the Yankees have have already started zeroing in on him either from a trade this winter or or heading into ooh fuck Machado I'm done <laughs> or signing I'm out or or just going all in on him next year but then you have a guy like Miguel Andujar. I mean, he's probably 80% of what, 75% of what Manny Machado is with a much lesser track record, but the guy can hit, and the Yankees are paying him absolutely nothing. There's I don't think Andujar is even close to Machado. Well, I mean, the thing, though, is he's that he's still, he's still a very is. good player, and when you talk about need, a team like the New York Yankees, who, if this was three, four years ago, would have had him signed on the first day of free agency— they're saying we developed this kid. We're paying him nothing. We don't have to pay him anything for a long time. We won a hundred games with him. Why do we have to go out and throw, you know, three hundred million yeah. at a guy? So absolutely, it, it's pretty crazy. We can talk this till we're blue in the face. We can do that on a random Wednesday pod that we will be releasing after football season's over. We'll talk about that. More to come. So you're saying you want to talk NBA right after now. the Super Bowl? But I mentioned to talk about a sport that's actually being played because we're an hour and twenty minutes into the podcast. Who cares how long we're in? Everybody's going to listen to us. I hope so. Um, but yeah, let's talk some NBA. Don't really have to talk much about the Knicks. Uh, all I have to say about that is you lost keep on tanking. a goaltending, buzzer beating goaltending. Any, that was that and it was, was a honestly I was a replay it really was I don't even think it was a goal time the ball is not coming down but it's a loss and that puts us that much closer to Zion so I will take it there you go. I'll take it happily now your Brooklyn Nets are performing yeah really before well. we talk about the rest of the league that's more important you're getting the local flavor here on sorry sports as we're New York based I am ecstatic with what I'm seeing from my Brooklyn Nets. My talk about, Brooklyn Nets, I have stake in them. Apparently, yeah. oh, good um, for you. Talk about talk about Harden's 30 plus game streak. Forget about that. D'Angelo Russell's got a lot of 30 point games D'Angelo this year too. Russell just won the Eastern Conference Player of the Week and had another 35 point game today in a win against the Sacramento Kings, who are kind of the Western Conference version of the Brooklyn Nets. And the Nets right now have won six straight home games. 
they're finishing a week in which they beat the Boston Celtics in Brooklyn, waxed them. Then they went to Houston and battled through the James Harden storm of 57 points as Spencer Dinwiddie matched him shot for shot. They scored. They came back from a 12-point deficit last Wednesday in Houston in the final 2 minutes and 35 seconds, tied the game, went to overtime, and stole that game in Houston, then turned around and overcame a 16-point halftime deficit to the Orlando Magic and won on Friday as D'Angelo Russell had ice in his veins, scoring 44. And then just today, they come back to Brooklyn and start a homestand with a 19-point win over the Sacramento Kings. I don't know how they're doing it. I mean, Dinwiddie and Russell seem like they've totally learned how to play together. Dinwiddie's night was in Houston. Other than that, Russell has been the primary star. Damari Carroll is back in game shape. Rodinus Kurox is one of the best rookies in the NBA. I can't believe I'm saying that, but if you look at numbers and statistics and war, he's there. And then... Joe Harris is having one of the all-time shooting seasons in Nets history, and and is, Jared Allen blocking and Jared everybody, Allen, every dunker, and not in the just world. the blocking. He's an, he has an a comp, almost complete offensive game right now, and the strides that he's taken from last year, where he was nothing other than two feet away from the rim, he's a legitimately good center, and he's not just a blocking center like Brook Lopez was. This guy rebounds. And he also play is very quick with his feet and can hang with a Willie Cauley Stein. Their head coach deserves a lot of credit. We've been talking him up for a while, Kenny so Atkinson. to all the doubters, it he's been doing like a great job pushing this team. The culture that they've been trying to cultivate has actually happened. The biggest, the biggest reason why is you could see that there was a little animosity both on and off the court between Russell and Dinwiddie, and obviously so. You know, they're both young point guards in the league, coming from very different points. You know, Russell was a, a number two overall pick and shipped out by the Lakers. And Dinwiddie and was a second-round pick. Second pick out of Colorado who had basically no life in the NBA until the Nets picked him up two years ago in a season where they won literally 19 games. And he got his he really started to turn it on last year when Russell and Jeremy Lin were out. And now it seemed like early in the year they didn't know how to play together. You could see that one was afraid of the other one taking away the spotlight. And you can see now both when they play together on the court or when one is having their night, it's okay. I mean, the number one cheerleader for when Spencer Dinwiddie single-handedly won that game Wednesday night was D'Angelo Russell. And you see when Russell's just in this three-point barrage right now, Dinwiddie's losing it on the bench, so happy. And that is done by coaching. Because Dinwiddie got his extension. We don't know what's going to happen with Russell, but I'll tell you this. Whatever he gets matched, I think the Nets now say, listen, we we just need to sign one marquee free agent, which they'll have room for. Because if we have Russell and Dinwiddie playing this way. I think they'll trade Carroll and they'll have the room. Well, I think Crab is the bigger question. Because right now you can't trade Carroll because he's a major reason why you're a playoff team. Well, that's their one bad move that they made in this whole past thing was going out and get since obviously the Celtics things. But this rebuilding, one bad move they made was going out and getting Alan Crab. Yeah, but I think at the time there's no way that they would think that they were going to be in this spot. No, not at all. But he's just just dragging that team down. So it's going to be really tough to deal him. Him. And but you think with they're doing this with Karis Levert, they're arguably their best player, been out for now over two months. You've, yeah, you have you know Jared Dudley, who you might laugh at, but a team leader and has had a pretty valuable season. He's been out. 
Um, their first round pick, uh, Musa, he's been out, hasn't played all year. They have, they're getting contributions from guys like, um, Devonte Graham. They're getting, uh, Alan Williams is playing Ed Davis and Shabazz Napier have been good imports from Portland over here. I know I'm gushing and people can't believe I'm talking this long about the Brooklyn Nets, but you've got to be so excited to just watch a team that plays this hard and is battling. And if, and once people get over just that terrible impression, when you think Brooklyn Nets, you think terrible organization, awful trade. They're out from under that. Now they have two first round picks. They're going to have an opportunity to sign a max free agent and we'll see what they do right now. They're a playoff team in the Eastern conference, two games over 500. It's crazy. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think you made a good pick on them, and the Orlando Magic continue to free fall. Um, but let's move on to the Los Angeles Lakers because I'm tired of talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They lose Lonzo Ball on, I would say, scary injury because I think he was either carted or helped off the court. I, I didn't really watch the uh, the whole video. Um, There's a but bad he's out, injury. He's out four to six weeks with a major ankle sprain, and that is coming – right before the Chicago Bulls trade for Carmelo Anthony and subsequently will DFA him or whatever Release the NBA's yeah, version of him, that. Yeah. Wave him. So what do you think? Do you think the Lakers go out and get him? They said they do not want to lose a guy, a guaranteed guy. So I think that if another player gets hurt or if they can make some room for Melo, he may be a Laker. And that's the only team I think is going to take a chance on him. I think the Lakers make sense. and I think Maybe LeBron- the Brooklyn Nets. No, I don't think the Nets want any part of that. If they do, I'm going to be very upset. I mean, he was kind of productive for Houston. I mean, yeah, I don't I just, really know I just what don't happened think there. He, I don't think he fits on a team like the Brooklyn Nets, who are young and I'm and, joking around, and they're and they're jiving. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Los Angeles Lakers, who desperately need points, desperately need production, and desperately need somebody to come in and and help them. It truly from depends falling out of the playoff picture. For me, it truly depends on which mellow you're going to get. And I think you're when it comes to playing with LeBron James, you're going to get the best mellow possible. You thought it was going to happen with CP3. CP3 wasn't playing in Houston. Clearly it didn't work out. LeBron's not going to take LeBron's not going to take this shit where it's like mellow needs to pound the pound the rock and be that mellow where he dominates 80% of the possessions. It needs to be catch and shoot the best version of Melo right now, Olympic Melo. And listen, replacing Lonzo Ball, Melo's not going to do that. Lonzo Ball is a top perimeter defender and he also plays great with the ball out of his hands. But if you can get a guy that can get you 15 points a game off a few dribbles and jump shots, that's what you need right now. Yeah, and I think too is the other comparison with the with the Houston Rockets is the fact that you know, you can't have anybody taking the ball out of James Harden's hands. LeBron James isn't that kind of player. When LeBron's ready to take charge, he will, but he likes to defer. His game and James Harden game are nowhere near the same. So I think Carmelo might actually make sense there. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. I do think that that's a landing spot for him. And if not the Lakers, I don't know who. I saw maybe the Pistons. I saw maybe the Magic as they make their last-ditch efforts to secure playoff spots in the East as they're starting to kind of fall off a bit. I I think that those are really the only three I think three it's the teams. Lakers and truly nobody else. But we'll have to see how that one goes. We'll see if the Lakers clear up some space. Let's move on to James Harden. You speak about him. I think in this day's NBA, he's probably having the best season. I, it's better than Kobe's because his usage rate, um, he's just producing better than Kobe in 2006 when Kobe was at, at about 35 points a game. Um, he's having the best year since probably question, Michael Jordan in nineteen what eighty eight or something like is that. Is he having 
is this that much different than the 2016 Russell Westbrook year? Yes, because it needs to be done. He wasn't playing like this when his team... Russell Westbrook had to average a triple-double for that team. No, he didn't. Yes, he Russell did. Westbrook did not was have on to that average team? a triple-double. If Russell Westbrook had done less, I think they would have won more games. There was nobody else on that team, though. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the roster. That was before Paul George. Oladipo was out most of that year. Oladipo was not out most of that year. They Oladipo, weren't that good. No, you thought Oladipo was out most of that year, but Oladipo had to chuck up shots when Russell Westbrook gave it to him, and then when he missed, Russell Westbrook was pissed when he didn't get an assist. Russell Westbrook kind of alienated that team and made it made it not live up to its potential, not to mention Sabonis was also on that team who look what he's doing now with Indiana. The reason why, the reason why I think it's different is because Russell Westbrook went all out for a triple double. James Harden's doing this because the team needs him to shoot 35 times to win the game. They're saying, all right, James Harden's saying, all right, get on my back. I'm going to carry you guys to hopefully, even though they lost to the Nets and a few others win a game. There's literally the second best player on this team right now is Austin Rivers, who's bounced around the league. But he can't keep this up through the playoffs. No, not at all. But then other guys like Capella will be back, and fingers crossed, CP3 will be back. I don't think he can keep this up through the playoffs just off sheer exhaustion. That's what I mean. But the difference between him and Russell Westbrook is I disagree with you. Russell Westbrook didn't have to do that. He did it because he wanted the stats, and he want, and he chased an MVP. James Harden I is doing this I meant it more just from necessity. stats. I just meant it pure from stats. Pure from stats, yes. The usage rate is there. Russell Westbrook's usage rate in 2016 was over 40%. Only player to ever do that. James Harden right now is sitting at 39.1. Yeah, I didn't Kobe mean from Bryant. a big picture. I meant no. it more just like I, I he, what he did that year – when there was a lot of pressure on him with Durant leaving, he was the best player in the league that year. Well, from a number standpoint, yes, but when the I agree with you in a, in a number standpoint, but not when it comes when to winning. Because when I watch Harden play standpoint. and I know he's scoring a shit ton of points, I don't like watching him play basketball. I don't. It's not fun, but when it comes to the point, he's incredible. You got to look at it like this, and this is the difference between Westbrook. And Harden, Westbrook 2016, or up from then on to now, and Harden now, like through this 30 point a game stretch. Russell Westbrook had a young Victor Oladipo on his team, a Steven Adams who's a pick and roll player's dream, as a bonus, and a few other players that could knock down a three point shot. Yeah, I understand. Harden okay. has nothing. Harden but. has literally nothing. Russell Westbrook went after a triple double, alienating other players, stealing rebounds and, and and better points from other players, and then not letting guys like Oladipo, who could truly help him get better. Give them shots. I just meant simply from stats. Well, that but but my point is this. What gives you the best chance to win and the reason why this is so much better is because this is the best chance for the Rockets to win is James Harden going off. Russell Westbrook did not give his team the best chance to win and did not even deserve that MVP, in my opinion. Who deserved the MVP? James Harden. James Harden. In 2016? Statistically, if you look at the usage rate and you look at the way they played, James Harden was a better player, period. That year? Absolutely. Okay. If you look back at it from a true NBA head, which I am, James Harden, Russell Westbrook was a was just a walking stat. But if you look up and down, I mean, there's a lot of teams and a lot of players not to mention in the that NBA. The, not to mention that Russell Westbrook, I believe he either won one game or got swept in the playoffs as the Rockets went on to go to a conference finals. Well, um, last year. No, two years ago as well. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I was just simply looking at it from a win from a, from a stats. Yeah, standpoint. but I, but the stats are great, and he's having the best statistical run since Kobe Bryant. I but think the NBA has is one of the is the most 
you know the. the but you stats... have to look at it deeper than that. Ru- Russell Westbrook. Oh, I do, his but team. I Harden's when I asked the question, better. I simply asked from a statistical standpoint. I think Harden's is much. Obviously, think, if you're a GM, you want James Harden. I think, quite honestly, Harden's is when you look at it from a pure statistical standpoint, and we can wrap it up and talk about NCAA football. Unfortunately, um, after this. I think this is more incredible because of the fact that James Harden is so efficient. Russell Westbrook. Well, not does in that game. He screen. went one for seventeen from He'll, three. I mean, everybody has those games, but the fact that he's averaging so many three pointers a game, these step backs that he's doing, the fact that he gets to the line ten times a game and he shoots ninety percent from that. there. He's there like sixteen times. Well, a game. he's yeah. averaging about twelve point three. So yeah. I I went down a little bit, but Westbrook is not an efficiency player's dream at all. And Harden, the fact that he's doing this in this situation where Austin Rivers is the second best player, I think this is the most incredible uh, numbers-wise, also playing-wise, I've seen since, I don't even know. I really well, don't. Well, that's why I put the question down. And he's the, the second best down. shooting guard behind Michael Jordan right now in my book. Well, I put him ahead of Dwayne Wade. I put him ahead of Kobe Bryant. And I know it's hard to believe to say that, but offensively, not defensively and not all around, because Kobe was a dog defensively and hard into turnstile. Offensively, he's the second best shooting guard of all time, period. Well, you know right now, I mean, the eras are so different. But also, if you just look up and down, the reason he's able to do this is because he has no help. But that's more an indictment on Chris Paul. I think that this team is better and without Darryl Chris Morey. Paul. Yeah. But, I mean, James Harden, obviously, from an individual standpoint, is one of the best scorers of all time if his, if his career ended tomorrow. But when Kobe lost Shaq and before Powell came along and, and they got a little bit better, he was putting up crazy numbers on an awful team. And that's where stats, can, especially in the NBA, can be totally inflated. Well, the Rockets are not awful. That's the thing. Well, we don't think they are. He's kind of He's carrying them this afloat, team. Exactly, which it, is what makes this incredible to right. his his reinforcements come back, hopefully. I, yeah, I mean, I and that's kind of the question where you mentioned Kobe. I mean, you, like you said, you got to look deeper than that if you're looking just simply at scoring. Also, the era in which they play. I mean, James Harden can take seven steps and, and be able to take a three. He can go one of 17 but if you're from three, but if he's getting to the line 15 times in that game, and he's doing whatever he wants around the rim, that's fine. But I watched that Nets game, and, and he missed a couple egregious shots. And he, I mean, obviously Westbrook does the same. I simply just pose the question from a, t- a statistical standpoint. Obviously, if you look deeper, I think it's still better Russell than Westbrook. Westbrook is is a guy that he's he's clearly not a winning player. And I was always a, a fan of his up until really coming into this year. But James Harden, I don't know how much of a winning player he is either because he's a liability defensively. He takes, he hucks a lot of awful shots. Now, right now, he has to. He has no other choice. There's nobody else on that team. Yeah, but team. my thing is this. If you look at it from a player efficiency rating, James Harden's also one of the best passers in the league as well. Yeah, I mean... I mean, he can't really show that off right now when the second best player is Nene or Austin Rivers. Right. So, or two-way players from the D-League, but when he's clicking with Capella... They just got Capella, Kenneth Fareed, so now watch out, Yeah, guys. let me let me relax, but I, I mean, listen, you're going to see some lobs from Capella that you're going to say, holy shit, Russell Westbrook could never do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just a situation where when you're looking at two of the most statistically great seasons of recent memory... You got because whether you agree with it or not, that was an incredible year. It was, but it was also if you watch those games closely, which I did, 
it was a lot of Russell Westbrook jumping in front of teammates to grab rebounds or Russell Westbrook getting pissed because he throws Victor Oladipo a ball with two seconds left on the shot clock and he misses a shot and there goes another assist. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that much fun to watch either of those guys play basketball, to be honest with you. But if you want to just look at it from a pure individual standpoint and shooting the basketball, creating shots, getting to the line. Harden's the Harden best is, in the Harden He's is probably phenomenal. the second best of all time. And he has certainly a lot of help with the fact that you know, he makes one move and a guy touches his shoulder and it's a foul or he can take five shots for the step back and, and it's not called a travel. I think that's a lot different. Even when Kobe played 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he wasn't getting away with that stuff. No, I agree. There, there was, there was definitely, I mean, there was a time where you could make a case before Kobe won that second, that first title away from Shaq, where you could say, listen, he was a great player, but he needed Shaq and look at what he is now scoring 81 points in a game. And that team is winning 35 games a year because they didn't have, I mean, they didn't have that much talent, but they weren't, you know, completely absolved of talent either. That was just Kobe in that part of his career wanting to show how dominant that he was offensively. And he certainly accomplished that. I mean, Allen Iverson's MVP year, you know, that was one of the best statistical seasons by a guard of all time too. That you can go up and down some of the years Tracy McGrady had, I think it's hard to compare eras. That's where, when you say James Harden's the second best of all time, it helps playing in the area era that he's playing in because he can get away with a lot of things and there's defenses not being played in the NBA. Yeah, but you have to look at his efficiency numbers to understand what I'm saying though. I mean, the guy is one of the most efficient players ever, too. No, he is, but I, I was just saying, if you want to look big picture, too, I could play devil's advocate with you and say certain things that Kobe was not getting are things that Harden's absolutely getting away with. It's an era thing. It's like when people. I agree with the you, but at the same time, time, like I could, I could argue that Kobe also took way more shots than him, had the ball in his hand, probably well, that's just what as I'm often, saying. and never made the right play. Right. Kobe would there before until dudes he, on him. Until he became the most prolific winner because of what he did when he got pow, you know, and 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 turning that team into into a into a into a uh, an NBA championship team. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but he also had a lot more players than pow too. He did. I but mean, Lamar Odom pre pre crack. He had obviously Derek Fisher and a that's few why others. I look at Harden too. Still has to get that playoff monkey off his back because they blew a three one lead last year. Yeah, I, I mean, and the I last, know Paul got hurt, but the last was... thing I'll say about that is I feel like Harden masks a lot of the things on this team because I mean, aside from Harden and Paul when healthy, which is few and far between at this point in his career, there's really I mean, Capella is a nice player, but there's not much else on this team. No, there's I guess not. you could say Eric Gordon, but I mean, he's a good six man off the bench aside from that I, I mean it's not like he has Kobe's Lakers or or Tim Duncan Spurs or anything I mean Harden has to do so much on this team but that's enough of that let's move on to some NCAA football quick this would probably be hopefully the last time we have to talk about it for a while it's especially because things come up we're an hour and 40 minutes into this podcast you keep wanting to rush us off I'm hungry man I'm fucking starving well you should have ate before um yeah Jalen Hurts quick. transfers to Oklahoma, Oklahoma that's and Justin Fields to Ohio State. Ohio State lost Tate Martell to Miami. So some quarterback movement. Let's just talk about Jalen Hurts because I think that's the only one that truly matters. Oh, I think they both matter a lot. I think Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. He's going now. I thought it made a lot of sense to go to Texas 
But Ellinger's played too well, so that that took him out of the race there. I thought a team like Miami made a lot of sense until Tate Martell went there. To go to Oklahoma, that was a team that nobody really ever thought about, and he's transferring there. He's going to be eligible to start the season, and he's going to Lincoln Riley's program, who's produced the last two Heisman winners. Not saying Jalen's going to do that, but he's 27-3 and as a starter, including a, a co-national championship with Tua. Yeah, and it's going to be a Big 12 defense instead of an I SEC. I don't think he's going to be a guy you start seeing throw for 4,000 yards, but I think his offensive game, he probably looked at and said, you know, people think I'm just a game manager and I got to go somewhere where I can improve some draft stock. I think this will get him drafted. I think so too. I Smart think that you move. might maybe best case scenario, third or fourth rounder, but we'll see what Lincoln Riley's magic can work with Jalen Hurts. I think that was a, a really interesting landing spot for him, and and we'll see what ends up happening there. And then you said Justin Fields not a big deal, dude. He was the number one quarterback recruit the year last year before Trevor Lawrence, the year before Trevor Lawrence rather. And and looking at him, Georgia Jake Fromm turned out to be a stud, and he had no playing time behind him and. You go to Ohio State, I mean, think how lucky they're getting now with, with Dwayne Haskins leaving, Urban Meyer's gone, Ryan Day needs to make that offense even better. And is he going to be able Justin to play Fields. next year? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Justin Fields is starting in, in the week one, 2019. I didn't know what the transfer was and yeah. all that stuff. Same with Jalen Hurts, yeah. Well, Hurts is a graduate. But I, I just didn't know because this guy was a did he I don't know if he redshirted last year or whatever. Yeah, he redshirted. Yeah. Oh, okay, so he's good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other guy, Tate Martell, who was a top, I think he was, I think he was the number one ranked quarterback prospect a few years back as well, or at least in the top three. He's going to look really good in Miami, and he's going to be a starter for at least two years. A lot of maneuverability. I love this transfer rule for for college. I, I'm so glad that these players can finally kind of act like free agents because the coaches have been able to for years. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But definitely those were noteworthy. I know, Tom, you hate it. But those Listen, are important. The only thing that I think will be really exciting is if 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 you if he can do what you think he can do at Oklahoma and they can find their way back into the college football playoff, it'll be real interesting to see Jalen Hurts versus Alabama. Versus Tua. Yeah, yeah. That, would be, that would be a lot of fun. And I, I kind of hope for that um, as that's my only college football wish ever. So there you go. Well, we'll let's wrap up me. now. Um, Tom can go find some food. We'll be back with you guys for Wednesday's NFL pod. I don't know if you heard, uh, there was quite a championship Sunday and I don't know if you heard, but we still have plenty to talk about. So we're going to look forward to talking to you guys then. Have a good night. Have a good night.